I want to invite you to take your Bible and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to be talking about money this morning, and uh, I want to talk with you about the importance of us being part of what God is doing financially. Now, we all know that God has equipped us with gifts, certain gifts to serve, but God has also provided for us resources that God declares should be used in part not just to take care of your family and not just to share with others, but to advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so I was doing a little bit of research and I came across this survey that tells us why people are motivated to give. So I think you'll see it on the screen and what they have done is they've put this in a nice little acronym to identify those things that motivate people to give. The acronym is TASTE, okay? And the first word is TRUST. The people that give give to that institution or organization or to those people whom they trust. It's just vitally important that people be able to trust those to whom they make generous contributions. And certainly in our church, uh, we, you know, we work on our budget and it's comprised from the people that are here and, and all of the pastors work on things, but it's the people that are proven and we talk about those things. The second thing that was noted is altruism. And altruism is just that sense of, of goodwill, that desire to help other people. It goes beyond self-centeredness and puts others in that place of recognition. And by the way, I have to tell you, they say that the biggest factor in marital harmony is for both husband and wife to practice altruism. If you begin looking at your spouse and thinking, what can I do for him or for her today? How can I encourage him or her? I guarantee you, unless you're married to a really, really, really bad person, and if you are, come see me. We'll talk about it. But I guarantee you, if you want to improve the marital atmosphere, then think about serving your spouse. And you know, isn't that just exactly what the Bible says? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Love puts others in a place of prominence. And so altruism, people that want to do good for others, that's a reason they give. Another reason is a social reason, you know, and, and uh, people get caught up in, in, uh, in things on a social uh, platform and they think about what's happening in society and so they give. And then, of course, people give based on taxes and uh, because, you know, in our country at least, there's a tax break for charitable contributions and I'm so grateful for that and so grateful for those, particularly at the end of the year, a lot of times people will give and it not only helps the ministry, but it also helps the one who gives. And then the last one that was noted in this survey was egoism. I guess that is the idea that, hey, I'm giving and maybe it satisfies a, recognition, a need for recognition in my life. Um, I think that, you know, that could be not a good idea, but it could also be something that is good. It just depends on how far you take it and, uh, and, and what the motive is and what the intent is. But, but these are some reasons why people give. They also identified a reason why people don't give. And I guess you could apply that to all of these other things here. But they also said that a lot of times people just don't give because they're, they're not able to give. I've been there. You've been there. 
things are really tight and hard, and you just can't give like you would like to be able to give. And so that is a reason sometimes as well. But let me talk with you this morning based on this passage in 2 Corinthians. And you know, I don't really preach on money a whole lot. And I, I guarantee you there's going to be some that think because they've heard me preach one sermon that deals with money that this is all we talk about. I hope not. I hope you'll understand the spirit in which I give this this morning. It's not so much about, uh, about you know, anyone trying to get anything out of you as much as it is about believers being faithful to do what they can to help the kingdom of God grow. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul, he's very straightforward about the need for a giving and tithing and that sort of thing. So take your Bible, if you would, and please go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read this passage together. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. By the way, just before we read, we're taking a little break today from the, the idea of prophecy, and I know that, man, there's a lot going on, and we're going to continue that study, but today we're going to look at this very important message on, uh, on tithing and giving, and really just because I want you to know what's going on in terms of things at the church here and our, our budgeting for this next year. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 1. Now it is superfluous for me, and by the way, for those of you who wonder what that word means, it means that it's, it's not necessary or it's redundant. So Paul is saying, now it's, it's really not necessary and it's kind of redundant for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. And you might just want to underline that phrase, the ministry for the saints, because when you give, it is about ministry about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. We might say there as under compulsion. And then we go to verse number six. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. 
by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because the surpassing grace of God, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord God, help us to understand in our own individual hearts how this applies to each of us. And we thank you for the incredible privilege of participating with you in the work for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, just to kind of give you a little bit of background in this passage, the Apostle Paul now is uh, has has sent some guys to the, the church in Corinth, the city of Corinth. And uh, you'll notice that this is 2 Corinthians, so this is the second letter or the second epistle that he has written that we have. Some believe that there were actually three, and one was, was, not, was, was between the first and the second, and there's some reasons for that. But what we know for sure is that this letter that Paul written was part of God's plan for us to have so that we would uh, so that we would know more of his infinite grace and will for our lives. And so Paul has put this together, he's written it, he's sent it along with these guys and one reason why he sent it was because they had promised to take up an offering for the people in Jerusalem. Now you'll recall that Jerusalem was the headquarters of Judaism. So Everybody in Jerusalem was pretty much part of, of, the, of, the, the, of Judaism except for that small sect of believers known as Christians whom God had spoken to and opened up their heart to the, realis- the realization that the resurrected Christ was the Messiah. And it's interesting because there were a number of people in Jerusalem, the same crowd that cried Cruci- crucify him, and then the Roman authorities, they put Jesus on the cross, but a number, of, a number of people became believers, including those who were priests in, all, uh, in, in, in Judaism. But the problem was that because of the location of that church and where it was, they were under duress and persecution. Some of these people had lost their livelihoods. They were unable to, to work anymore and make a livelihood because they had come out of Judaism and they had accepted Christ as the Messiah. Some of these people were, uh, were, were, you know, they were just, they were, they were in destitute circumstances. And as the Apostle Paul traveled around the, the, the world of that day and he planted these churches, at least we know for a fact that he encouraged the Corinthian church. And by the way, Corinth was a rich town. It was, it was a, it was a trade, it was on the trade route. It was very important. So there were a number of people there who did very well in life. And he encouraged the church there to take up the offering and they promised to do so. And so now he writes and he lets them know that he wants them to be ready to give when he arrives. And so we have a picture here of a cheerful giver. And I want to remind you what the Scripture says here in this passage. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, God loves a cheerful giver. 
Well, what does that mean, a cheerful giver? And what does it mean to say that God loves a cheerful giver? Well, it means exactly what you think it means. God has a special regard and a special love for those who are able to give cheerfully to what God has called them to give to. You know, a cheerful giver is someone who is prepared to give. If you look at verse 5 and verse 7, you'll notice that Paul was concerned that they be ready to give when he arrived. And certainly they were prepared and they were ready, and those that came were going to help them get ready for that. We also see in verses 5 and 7 that those who were going to be cheerful givers, they would be people who were determined to give. Notice it says that the gift that they had promised, there had been a prior commitment, and then notice it also says that he has decided in his own heart. It's a very personal thing. When you make a decision to give to the work of the Lord through a local church or to a ministry, God loves it when you've made that personal decision in your life. And, and notice that it comes right out of the heart. It's, it's something that at the very core of who you are, God loves those who've made the promise as they've decided at the very core of who they are that this is what I need to do. I don't know about you, but there's something to me about making that decision. You know, sometimes we get in this bad place where we're, we're wavering between two opinions. You ever been there? Well, maybe I should do this, or maybe I should do this, or maybe I should do this. And then you say, what if this, and what if that, and all. And you get in this paralysis of analysis. Hello, anybody there? Anybody ever had that happen? Well, you know what? There's something to be said for peace of mind when you say, this is the course of action. And it's not because I've been compelled it's because I believe this is what God would have me to do, and I'm determined to do it. The Bible says in here that God loves a cheerful giver. We might think of that word cheer as hilarious or joy. It, it, notice the Scripture describes this as a willing gift. And, you know, when I think about it, those who are glad to give... If you're glad to give, you can't be miserly or stingy. If you're glad to give, you're not somebody that's always trying to hold on to things. You're somebody who's willing to let things go. Because this is God's will for your life. And you're also somebody who has a great deal of trust and faith in knowing that God is your provider and that He is always faithful. A cheerful giver. That's, this is a, 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 just a picture, a, a short picture of what I think the Bible teaches about cheerful giving. But, but secondly, it's not just a picture of a cheerful giver. In this passage of Scripture, it tells us a little bit about the prophet of cheerful giving and not the prophet that foretells the future or the one who declares the will of God, but it's the prophet as in the remuneration of those who give cheerfully. There is a blessing for those who are able and willing to give cheerfully. Before we get into that too much, let me just uh, let me just share with you a joke that I, I read the other day about a preacher who was 
who was in a worship service one Sunday morning and he was telling the church about the needs of the church, you know, and, and how they, they needed folks to reach deeper into their pockets and try to do what they could, you know, and, and he was just, he was asking that, that they would just make generous gifts to the offering. And the preacher was really into it. And he said, and, and guess what he said? If you will make a generous gift, the most generous gift this morning, I will let you pick out three hymns. And so they collected the offering. They brought it to the preacher. And he glanced down and he noticed that someone had graciously offered up $1,000. And the preacher was just overwhelmed with with that gift. And, and he said, you know, I, I don't normally do this, but, but, but right now I just feel led of the Lord to personally thank the person who made this gift. He said, I don't want to embarrass you, but I want you to be a model for us. And he said, if you made this gift, would you raise your hand and let me know who you are? And this dear little old lady sitting near the back shyly raised her hand. And he said, thank you. He said, please come up front. And so she said, no. But he said, please come up front. And so she made her way to the, to the front. And the pastor just began to tell her how wonderful she was that she gave so much. And, 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 and he said, you know, you've given so much. I want to give you an opportunity to pick out three hymns this morning. And her eyes got really big and bright. And she looked out and she said, I choose him and him and him. <laughs> oh, boy. She might have misunderstood that. But the point is, listen to me. When you give cheerfully to the work of the Lord, there is a blessing for your life, a promise that God will reward you. Now, let me just say this. We're going to look at this passage and talk about the rewards that you get, but let me, this does not, let me just share with you, this does not mean automatically that if you write a check for $1,000, that God's going to bless you with $10,000. I know some preachers have gone overboard and said things like that, and they've really not done, they've done a disservice to the kingdom of God by doing that. But what this passage does teach is that God blesses those who are cheerful givers, and I want to point out some of those prophets and some of those blessings. First of all, notice that the Bible describes the offering that was to be taken up as an offering that was a ministry to the saints. If you look in verse number one, he says, this is ministry for the saints. And when we think about cheerfully giving, whether you write a, a check or you click a button and you give to the ministry of this church or you give to any other ministry, I want you to think about it like this. This is not just about giving money. It's about supplying the saints with what they need. The Apostle Paul would take this offering and he would give it to the, the, the elders at the church at Jerusalem and it would be distributed to those members who were in need. 
And what it meant is that those saints as well in Jerusalem would maybe, they would be able to, to have some of the material needs that they had met, but it also meant that they would be able to continue the process of growing in the Lord because there would be people there who would, who would gather for worship and they would gather for teaching and Bible study and all of these things, prayer. And, and so I want you to think about this for just a moment, that when you give... You supply materially, and you supply spiritually. Think about it for just a moment. This morning, we have this lovely auditorium. This lovely auditorium that has lights, and some of them are colored. And we have a a capacity to broadcast so that we get the message out beyond the four walls. We've got air conditioning or heating if we need it. And we've got all of these things that make it possible, not because, uh, not because, you know, there's a money tree out back. It happens because there are people who take what God has blessed them with and they use it to support the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ through this church. I want you to understand that if God's people don't supply for ministry, it doesn't happen. I got to share with you, you know, uh, I guess right now we have one of our members that's in Liberia. Pam is in Liberia. And has she come back yet or is she on her way back? So she will be here tomorrow. And, and you know, many of you gave to Hope 127 to make it possible for her to go. And, and God blessed. And that's an incredible ministry. But it happens not just because she has a vision in her heart and she has some very, uh, some very generous family members, but it happens because people make it possible. Today, when we gather together at 5 p.m. to fill up those Operation Christmas Child boxes, it happens not because all of a sudden we found some money in an envelope uh, somewhere along the way, but it happens because people like you made commitments to provide the money for postage and things that go in those boxes so that the gospel message might go out all the way around the world. And you know, the reality is that when you give... You're supplying the needs of the saints, and you're also providing opportunities for people to come to faith in Christ. Let me just say a word real quickly about our budgeting process. If you come to that meeting this afternoon, and if you've been involved in the budgeting process here, you'll know that every person who has responsibility for uh, any ministry in our church, and we have a group of different uh, um, uh, ministry teams that are recognized and people uh, people are responsible for kind of help charting that course along with the pastor and staff. But every person receives an opportunity to say, this is what I expect I'll need to spend this year for my ministry. Whether it's men's ministry, women's ministry, whether it's the sewing ministry, whether it's caring hands that provides food and clothing, whether it's the Choices Pregnancy Center that provides support for women and and families who have babies, whether it's the prayer ministry where people pray continually for what God would do and how God can help others whether it's the ministry of disaster relief where people go and they they work to help those that have been impacted by storms and other disasters, you name it. Listen, I'm so excited about what God is doing here in our church, Hope 127, and so many other ministries that are involved. You know why that happens? It happens because people like you give. 
And when you give to the general budget, that is without designations to any one area, we're able to take that money and we're able to fulfill the whole ministry plan for the church. Now, sometimes it's important for us to designate to certain areas, but if we don't give undesignated to the church for the ministry budget, then we can't use those resources to fulfill what God has called us to do. So we always typically encourage people say, look, bring your tithe to the storehouse and let God use that in the general budget. And then if you want to give an offering above that to a specific ministry, great. But don't neglect what God is doing overall for something more specific. So the point here is that God uses the money right here and he provides opportunities to go out from here all around the world. God supplies for the saints. Secondly, there's another prophet here, and that is a prophet of that, that it, giving, cheerful giving secures self-compensation. In other words, God blesses those who bless others. The Bible is so clear about this. Notice what it says in verse number 8. I, I love this. Verse number 8, there's a wonderful promise here. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice that he did not say that God is able to make all grace so that you have all sufficiency in all things at all times so that you may spend it on your pleasures. We get confused about that, don't we? Matter of fact, the book of James says that you have not and you, you have not because you ask not. And then he says, when you ask, you ask amiss that you might spend everything on your pleasures. But notice that there's a promise of God's sufficiency for you when you give cheerfully. I got to tell you something. Years ago, I never would have imagined that this church would have a sewing ministry. You guys ever heard of a sewing ministry? <laughs> I never heard of it until this past year or maybe a year and a half or so. And you know what? On Monday, we have a bunch of ladies, and I don't know if there's any guys, but they're coming up here and they are sewing together. You know what that's turned into? That turned into dresses for people in Liberia. I'm still waiting, by the way, for trousers and shirts for some guys, okay? <laughs> But I mean, that turn, and, they, and there are other things that they've supplied that, that are part of the gospel ministry. And I, and I just have to tell you, there are things going on that, you have, that, that maybe you didn't know about that, it, that are happening right now because people have generously given to certain things. The Bible says that God blesses those who refresh others. Notice in verse number 8, uh, Paul is expressing the generosity of God, and he uses a certain word over and over. In verse number 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. The Bible says that we are to produce fruit that gives glory to God. 
And God has made a promise here to the most successful financially and also to the most, uh, the most challenged financially that when you are a cheerful giver, God will provide all that you ever need in order for you to abound in good works. Listen to me. God never says that all of us should give the same amount. But God does expect all of us to make equal sacrifice. You know what the Bible tells us when we gave our hearts to Christ, we recognized that He was the most important person in our lives. And the promise is that God will bless those who bless others. Notice what it says in verse number 10. Again, there's this promise. It says, God will multiply your seed for sowing to enlarge your harvest of righteousness. And verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous. You know, when your hand is open, it's also open to receive the blessing of God. But when your hand and your heart is closed, you cut off your blessing, the blessing that can come from God. You know, we're warned in the New Testament to beware of covetousness. You know, the desire to covet my, my neighbor's house or my neighbor's this or that or, or that desire for us to, you know, to go after something that belongs to somebody else. And, and you know, you get into greed and selfish ambition. But God says, no, that's not the way for my people. My people are to be generous. And he who refreshes others will be refreshed himself. So cheerful giving. Cheerful giving, it supplies the needs of the saints. Cheerful giving, it, uh, it provides a blessing to you, a return to you. But cheerful giving also multiplies the exaltation of the Lord. What do I mean by this? I mean, if you look at this passage, the Apostle Paul says, because of your great gift, it's going to produce thanksgiving to God, verse number 11. In verse number 12, he says there'll be many thanksgivings to God. And in verse 13, he says those people that receive this will give glory to God. They will glorify the Lord. I kind of wonder about that, and I guess we'll never really know it until we get to glory one day. But when I stand before Him in glory... I hope and pray that some portion of my life and some portion of my stewardship of the finances of my life will have resulted in people giving thanks to God and glorifying God. And, and, I, and I hope and pray there'll be people who are saved because of something that I did by giving. People that I will never know apart from seeing them in glory. But I believe one day we will. I can't think of a better thing for us to do than bring glory to God. Can you? I mean, really, if that, if that, you know, it's interesting because in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the saints that are in heaven and they're adorned in white robes. And, and the Bible says the fine linen that adores, that adorns those saints in glory, guess what that fine linen is made of? It's made of good works. You know, good works won't save you. But good works are a blessing that glorifies God. And some people say good works are what adorns you for all glory. So I guess we'll find out when we get to heaven, right? So anyway, the Bible says that our, 
hilarious giving, not only does it bring the love and the, the blessing of God, but it, it brings more glorification to the Lord. And then in verses 11 through 13, I believe that the, 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 the cheerful giving, it amplifies your gospel witness. It amplifies your declaration that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of life. That people come to faith in Christ and they have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That people come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for their sins. And the Bible says they will never perish, but they will have eternal life. The declaration that, that you must have Christ in your life, that you must receive Him. And the Scripture says that he who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life. I think the Bible is crystal clear about this. You either are born from above, as Jesus told Nicodemus, or you will never see the kingdom of God. And as Christians, that's what we believe. And as we give cheerfully, it is testimony of the confession that we have made of the gospel of Christ, the generosity of our contribution for them and all others. Verse 13. There's another thing that I think is wonderful here. And if you look in verse 14, the Bible says this about generous, cheerful givers. It says that there is a, a multiplication of prayer for you and for me. That is a wonderful thought to know that my giving to those who are in need, my giving to the gospel mission, to the, the great commission that God has called the church to, when you give through the church, when you give to a ministry, when you give, there is the promise that those whose lives have been transformed will one day pray for you. They'll pray for you. They'll lift you up. i got to tell you something. I was blessed to grow up in a home that feared God. And there have been many days when I've thought back to those ministers who touched my life. Not all of them could preach like angels. Not all of them were handsome and good looking, so to speak. But what I remember is I remember the love of Christ through them to me that trained me to love God, to respect my parents, to love the nation that, I was, that I'm living in and understanding the times and the, the seasons and, and, and these sorts of things. And I look back with gratitude and I remember what a sacrifice they made to give to me. Just this past week, I was, and this has happened periodically, it happens periodically in my life, but I, I had a pastor that I'd not spoke to in a long, long time. And he texted me just yesterday. And he said, I want you to know you're one of a few pastors that I pray for regularly. Man, I got to tell you something. There are days in my life, as I'm sure there are days in your life, when you need to know that somebody is praying for you. It doesn't matter uh, how good life is and doesn't matter how bad it is, but to know that you are being covered with folks who are praying for you because of the contribution that you have made in their life through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a great boost and strength. And i got to encourage you to think about 
those folks that have given so much. Think about the people who have been at this church for something like 125 years. Now, most of them are dead by now. But anyway, okay, I know that was a poorly timed joke. But anyway, um, this church is like 125, 124, I don't know. It's over 100 years old, okay? And some of y'all can tell. But anyway, when you think about it, those people that started First Baptist Church of Wildwood over 100 years ago, they made a commitment that God was going to work through them in this community and around the world. And they did. And we're still here today serving the Lord. i got to tell you something, folks. That's big. And when I think about standing in glory with the Lord and with all those others, I'm going to go and shake hands, and, I, and, and I'm going to be so grateful for what they have done here because today it continues on. You know, when you give cheerfully, that is a gift that keeps on giving. And I want to encourage you to think about it like that. I don't know how many of you have heard of a guy by the name of Truett Cathy. Anybody here know who that is? He is the founder, and I guess he was the CEO of Chick-fil-A until he retired. I think his son now now has it. But but he's a he's been a very successful businessman, very successful, and and he's also a God fear. Do you realize this man? He taught a junior high boys Sunday school Sunday school class for over forty years. Man, that guy loves headaches, doesn't he? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, in junior high, the boys and the girls don't know who they are. They're so confused. And I remember being in Sunday school when I was that age, and and we delighted in the fact that we would tear up. Things at the church, and Lord help me, forgive me for that now, you know. And here I am a preacher now, fussing at folks that are tearing up the church. So anyway, it's come back to me. But Truett Cathy, who has just been a phenomenal businessman, but also a phenomenal man of God, he said this, Money is nice to have as long as you've got it in your hand and not in your heart. What do you mean by that? He means that if your heart is full of greed and covetousness and clutching, he means that you will not enjoy life. It is a burden that destroys. There are folks in this world that are so unhappy and some of them are so successful financially. There are also those who were very successful financially And they just seem to be the freest that they can be. But why? Because they know that the abundant eternal life is not in what you possess. It's in having Christ and being able to be free with your uh, your finances, just like uh, you've turned your life over to Christ. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of hard to sometimes explain that to somebody who maybe lived through the Great Depression or has known severe want in their life because they're kind of they're kind of predisposed to get everything and hold on to everything. But but this but the, the word of God says, listen, it's different for you because your heavenly Father is your provider, and you may not ever have a Lamborghini, or you know you may never own a a, a mountainside, you know, but He says you'll have all that you need so that you might be able to abound in every good work. And folks, when we get to glory, the reward 
Salvation, first of all, is by God's grace, but the reward that you receive in glory is based on your faithfulness and your good works. So you can't lose by giving cheerfully and generously. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. And the psalmist said this, Good will come to him who is generous. Well, thank you for taking these words to heart today. And you know, I can't think of a better way for us to emulate Jesus Christ than to lay down our life for others. Jesus gave everything He had. And we can certainly do a little bit of that, right? The more we give, the more we look like Jesus. And so this morning as we come to this invitation time, I'm going to invite our our team to come on out here and to begin leading us to decision. I want to just share with you this morning that as we come to this time of decision, of course, I want you to give your life to Christ first of all. I want you to surrender your life to Him. I want you to invite Christ to be your Savior, knowing that what He promised is true and that He who rose from the dead can take care of your sin problem and give you eternal life and peace with God. But more than that, this morning, I want you to know that when you come to faith in Christ, He gives you a new heart, a heart that is free Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you don't have to worry about your finances. Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He said, don't worry about these things. The pagans, they run after these things. But He said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. He's the bread of life. He's our sanctifier. He's the one who saves. And He's the one who supplies all of our needs. Would you respond to Him by doing what He would have you do in your life? Everything, including your finances. Guy was going to get baptized one time and he said, Hold on, preacher. He pulled out his wallet and stuck it on the counter. Preacher said, Nope, give me that wallet. We're going to baptize that too. Some of us need to get baptized in our finances as well. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to be devoted to you in all things. And Lord, we thank you for the cheerful givers. What a blessing they are. Father, I pray you might bless them right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about First Baptist Church of Wildwood and our ministries, you can go to our website, fbcwildwood.org, our Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Wildwood, or our Instagram page, FB Wildwood. Have a great Jesus-filled day.